Thank you, Dan. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's great to be here. Um, so good to be around God's Word. I want you to take just a moment and maybe speak to the person beside you or a few people around you. And I want you to think, I want you to chat. If you could describe the gospel in one word, um, what would that one word be? So we've just been singing a song all about the gospel. So take a minute or two, have a chat. If you, if you could describe the gospel in one word, what would that one word be? Off you go. Okay, so now that you've done that, I want you to take another moment and explain that one word. Explain that word in a few sentences. Okay, explain what that word means. Off you go. Okay, okay. Super. I was hearing some good snippets of conversation there from along the front. Um, now you've you've got the gospel in one word and you've explained it. I can go now, can't I? Um, did anyone come up with the word rescue? No? Okay. Uh, well, that that's the word I want to 
think about this evening. Um, how the gospel rescues us. Um, you're going through um, the Bible to see how gospel themes are all the way through Scripture, and that's such a good thing to do. And this evening, we're going to think about an incident from Exodus 3. It's a really interesting scene um, where God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Now, before we come to that, I just want to think about a little bit of, of background and build up to that point. And we think back to Genesis 12. There, God made a promise to Abram that he would make him a great nation and that he would bring him to a land where his people would know God's abundant blessing. But in Genesis 15, I think we have this on the screen, yeah? In Genesis 15, before God's people would get to that land, listen to what God said to Abraham. Look at it on the screen. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So God promises to bring his people to a great land. But before that, they will know 400 years of slavery. Now from Abraham, who God made this promise to, came his son Isaac, who was born in a miraculous way. From Isaac came Jacob and Esau. From Jacob then came Joseph who rose to power in Egypt and God's people were able to enjoy life with Joseph in this position. But we come to the beginning of Exodus and things are looking very different for God's people. There was now a new king over Egypt, a king who didn't know Joseph. And as God's people were growing and multiplying, um, this new ruler felt very intimidated by them and began to treat God's people very harshly. We are told they were afflicted with heavy burdens, they were oppressed, they were treated ruthlessly as slaves. The king even ordered that all male baby boys were to be killed. But one boy, Moses, escaped. His mother hid him for three months and the daughter of the Pharaoh at that time found him and he was raised in the palace. But later, now we're skipping of course lots of details here, but later Moses murdered an Egyptian and then fled to the land of Midian because he was afraid of what the Pharaoh might do to him. And that's where we kind of pick up with the story in Exodus 3. Like God's people were in a bad way. Look at the screen again behind me. Um, this is the end of Exodus 2. 
look at this because this is important and it sums up the the position of God's people at this time. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So here we see God's people are oppressed, they are needy, and they are helpless to do anything about it. Needing rescue from God, just as God had said to Abraham all those years ago. Let's keep reading verse 24. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Listen to these words. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard his people's cries. God remembered his promise. God saw his people's misery, and God knew their pain. That's where we finish at the end of chapter 2. And what we see from chapter 3 onwards in Exodus is God acting and moving to rescue his people. So let's look at the screen once more and read those first verses in Exodus 3 again. God is moving. God is acting to rescue his people. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So I want us to see, primarily from these eight verses, how God rescues his people. Moses has went from a prince to a shepherd. It's a bit of a come down to say the least. But here he was minding his sheep at Mount Horeb when he saw that a bush was on fire. I think there's something about fire that intrigues us, that that grabs our attention. There's something about fire that makes us just want to focus on it and just look at it. I can remember as a kid being fascinated with fire, the the open fire in our house, or our matches, how a match would strike and a, and a flame would come. Just anything with a flame seemed to really fascinate me. And I know my kids at home are the same. If if I go to light our fire at home, all three are there, intriguing, watching. We do a camp in Malayal in the summer for from primary four to primary seven. And one of the best things about camp is the last evening we light a fire on the beach and everyone, children and adults, stand around just looking at the fire. And in a sense, Moses was no different. This fire caught his eye. But then he realized it wasn't altogether normal because the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. This unique, unnatural event just drew Moses in. So, so let's think about what this burning bush might be saying. The, the bush itself, I believe, represents the people of God. Many times in the Bible, um, God's people are described as being like a plant or a tree. So, for example, in Psalm 1, um, the believer, we're told, is like a tree planted by streams of living water. Or Isaiah refers to God's people as a vineyard. Or Jesus himself, in John 15, refers to himself as the vine and his people as the branches. Now, if this bush is to represent the people of God, think about what we are told. The bush was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. Now, that would seem an apt description of the people of God at this time. They were oppressed, afflicted, needy, helpless, yet not destroyed. They were feeling the flames of suffering, if you like, but they were not 
consumed by it. And in fact, later in Deuteronomy, Moses refers to the time in Egypt as a time in a furnace, which I believe would further confirm this representation of the book. Now, what about the one in the bush? We're told in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Angel here simply means sent one, one sent from God. But if you look at verse 4, notice God called to him out of the bush. And Moses, uh, and the voice speaks to Moses, sorry, verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We are told that Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You see, the, the one appearing to Moses is one sent from God, but is God. Of course, the one that, that, that Scripture speaks about, who is sent from God, but is God, is no other than the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Notice, too, that God referred to himself as the God of Abraham, that is, the God of promise. It's like he's saying to Moses, which is, I made a promise many years ago, and here I am to keep it and to fulfill it. God says, verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to good and broad land, the land that God has promised. Do you see the picture that is building here? Do you see the gospel theme? God's people are helpless and needy God sees, God knows, God moves down into their suffering among his people to rescue them. Hopefully you can see the gospel picture. And the same picture is presented very clearly in the New Testament. We're told clearly there that all people, all people are helpless and desperate and needy because of sin. That Paul in Ephesians, he describes mankind as dead in sins. He says we are slaves, slaves to the world, the devil, and our own flesh. Now think about that. If we are trapped and 
dead, well, then there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. We are helpless, needy slaves. But God sees our state. He knows our state. And he has moved, acted to rescue us from ourselves. God sent Jesus Christ, the one who is from God, but the one who is God here with us to rescue us. Jesus Christ came. He lived among men in this world. He shared in our suffering, then took our sin upon himself on the cross, taking the flames of God's wrath, as it were, that should have been for us. Moses was drawn to Christ as he saw him in a burning bush. How much more should we be drawn to Christ as we see him dying in our place to free us and rescue us and bring us to God's promised place, heaven, free from all sin and all suffering. I want to read one more passage from Scripture. It's Mark chapter 10 and verses 13 to 16 to help us think about this a little further. They were bringing children to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I said to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Our children here is referring to small children, infants, babies. And Jesus is saying the way into his kingdom, or the way to be saved, or the way to be rescued, all those terms meaning the same thing. The way to do that is, is to be just like a baby. Now, if we think, what can a baby do? The answer is really nothing. A baby can't do anything for themselves. They can't feed, they can't clothe, they can't toilet themselves. They can't do the most basic of human tasks. They are helpless. They are needy. All they can do is cry out in the hope that mum or dad or someone will come and meet their needs. All we can do is cry out that Jesus will come and meet our needs. We don't have anything to offer him. We don't have anything to bring. We come to Jesus with nothing to offer but our dire situation 
dead in sin and cry out to be rescued from our sin. Jesus is our only hope of rescue. We come to Jesus with nothing. He gives us everything. Let's pray together. As we pray and as we are quiet just now, if you have not cried out to Jesus for rescue, may you do that just now. Knowing that he is able to rescue you from sin. Our Father, we thank you for such a great gospel. We thank you, God, that your love was so great that you were willing to come yourself in Christ to live, to suffer, to take our sin that we could be rescued. We could be brought from slaves to children of God. Father, help us to grasp this tonight. Help us to know who Jesus really is, to know his worth, to know his greatness. And for those of us who know Christ, may we have that assurance that Christ is with us. In every sin struggle, in every suffering, he is there. He is pleading even for us to our Father. God, help us to understand Christ better tonight, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you.